Welcome to another edition of the Word of God. We are now in the fifth Sunday in Lent. The fifth Sunday in Lent. Let's review. Advent begins our church calendar as we're waiting for the coming of Jesus. Then we go into Christmas when Jesus appears, when he's born. And when he shows himself to the world, we call that epiphany. He is appearing. Epiphanos is the Greek word. And he is appearing and he is showing himself. We begin with the Magi. Remember when the Magi offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then he appears with his ministry beginning at 30 years old. And then he displays through his words and his actions what the kingdom of God is about. Well, now we have been journeying in the season of Lent. Now, in the season of Lent, it's a very holy season in Christian faith and practice because it's an opportunity to journey with Jesus as he prepares for his death. And in Christianity, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the whole thing. It's what Christianity lives and dies by. If Jesus has not been raised, then we are still in our sins and there is no Savior. So uh, his death and resurrection is crucial, and of course we celebrate his resurrection on Easter Day. Next week we'll be looking at Holy Week, beginning with Palm Sunday and ending with um, Easter Sunday. But today we are in the fifth week of preparation for Holy Week, called the, sun, the uh, days in Lent, uh, which are from Sunday to Saturday. Now, we'll be looking at three different texts, and we have been on a journey with Jeremiah, Romans, and John, and we continue on that journey as we get deeper and deeper in each of these books. Jeremiah, Romans, and John. All right, let's begin with Jeremiah 24. 1 through 10 on Monday, Jeremiah 24, 1 through 10 on Monday. Now, what's going on in Israel, there is a historical reality, and that is the kingdom of Babylon, which is a, became a very powerful kingdom, uh, is going to be a, a world conqueror. Now, prior to Babylon was Assyria. What comes after Babylon is Persia. What comes after Persia is Rome. You probably know about the Roman Empire. And so a Greek, I'm sorry, Greek and then Rome. So we had Alexander the Great and then we had the Romans. So it's Assyrian, Babylonia, Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. Okay. So Jeremiah and Jerusalem and his people, the southern kingdom, are dealing with the power of Babylon. And Jeremiah is warning his people that if they turn against the Lord, then God is going to raise up Babylon to destroy them, which is actually what happens. They are carried off into captivity beginning in the 600s, and then about 587, the, uh, Jerusalem is destroyed, and the, the temple of Jerusalem is destroyed, and Jerusalem itself, and people are carried into captivity. So Jeremiah is prophesying about that time. Now, he's giving us an historical analysis, but in terms of what actually happens to Israel, that is dependent on their relationship with God Almighty. So Israel is a very unique state, unique nation, and that it's rising and falling has to do with its relationship to its creator, God Almighty. This is why the Old Testament is so significant, 
Not only is it preparing us for a future deliverer, a future Messiah, which we'll see in John and in Romans, but it's also teaching us how to live under God's guidance and under God's rule and under God's um, authority. So you see in chapter 24 of Jeremiah, verse 1, after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem Jokaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, together with the officials of Judah, the craftsmen, the metal workers, and had brought them to Babylon, the Lord showed me this vision. So right now in 24, now there are 52 chapters of Jeremiah, he's telling us that the king of Babylon is already beginning to take people into captivity. And so the prophet Jeremiah is going to share with the people of Israel what the truth is regarding the way they are to respond to Nebuchadnezzar and his uh, deportation, if you will. He's taking them into captivity. All right. And he gives them, um, he gives them images. He gives them uh, parables. He gives them uh, words from Jeremiah. Now, what's supposed to happen is the people are supposed to receive the word of the Lord from Jeremiah and respond accordingly. Jeremiah becomes the mouthpiece. If Jeremiah cannot be trusted, then they don't have anything. Jeremiah needs to be uh, taken very seriously so that people can respond in a positive way. In chapter 25, 8 through 17, therefore this says the Lord of hosts, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my word. See, there's the problem right again. You haven't obeyed me. Here's what he's going to do. I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. That is very strong language. Very strong language. I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride. This whole land will become a ruin and a waste, verse 11. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. You guys are going to go into captivity. I am going to put you into captivity. And you are going to be there for 70 years. Then, after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord. So, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. And because you didn't obey me, you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. Then afterwards comes the restoration where he's going to invite them back. God is going to bring them back through Cyrus, king of Persia. Remember, the Persians are next. And then he's going to destroy the Babylonians for taking the Israelites into captivity. That is amazing. We, see, we have the rest of Jeremiah 25, 30 to 38. You shall prophesy against them all these words and say to them. So just imagine these terrifying words that Jeremiah has to say. So as you're reading this, again, remember the context. If you have a study Bible, look at the words that are on the bottom of the study Bible. Listen to those words and then try to make some kind of application for yourself personally in hearing those words of the Lord. Chapter 26. In the beginning of, rei of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. And then he tells him what to do. He says, 
Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord all the words that I command you to speak. Do not hold back a word. Say these things. It may be that they listen, and every one of them would turn his, from his evil way, that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do them because of their evil deeds. Say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law that I have set before you, to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. So if you listen to the word of the Lord and you obey him, you will be blessed and I will relent of the disaster that I will share with you. If you do not, you're going to be cursed. Chapter 29, 4 to 13. 4 to 13. This is a letter to the exiles. Okay? These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Jeremiah is writing to the exiles in chapter 29, verses 4 to 13. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. I've sent them into exile. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters. Seek the welfare of the city, which I sent you into exile. Verse 7. Verse 8. Do not let the prophets of your diviners who are among you deceive you, and you do not, do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them. Only listen to people that are sent by the Lord, namely Jeremiah. You want to hear the word of the Lord? You want to obey the word of the Lord. You do not want to listen to false prophets. Very important even today. And finally, Jeremiah 21, 31, I'm sorry, 31, 27 to 34. 31, 27 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah, the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them, to pluck up and to break down, to overthrow, destroy, and to bring harm. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. So he's been destructive, and then he becomes constructive. He tears down, he curses, he saves, and he delivers. So I hope you enjoy the reading of Jeremiah. It's quite fascinating. Romans chapter 9. Now, the book of Romans is quite extraordinary. Some people call it the best book of the Bible, certainly the best of Paul's work. And we are looking at chapter 9, 10, and 11 today. Now, 9, 10, 11 form the centerpiece of Romans, and they are, quite frankly, very difficult books. They are not easy in any way, shape, or form. Um, the sovereign choice of God in choosing Israel and not choosing Israel or not choosing others is very difficult for many people to deal with. So as you're reading through chapter 9, you just want to pay attention to that. In chapter 10, we see the famous verse of verse 10 of chapter 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him 
will not be put to shame. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So we have the sovereign choice of God, but then we're asking that whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, a juxtaposition to those seemingly impossible things to reconcile. But that's the truth of where we are. How can they call on him whom they have not believed? How can they believe if they've never heard? How are they here without someone preaching? This is why I'm here today, to share with you these important truths and encourage you to read them so you will know. If we had a verse for this series, The Word of God, this might be the locus classicus text. All right, how can they preach unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 15 of chapter 10, that's what we're trying to do with this this, uh, teaching, this podcast. We are sharing with you what basically the Word of God is for each of these weeks and encouraging you to read them and to pray pray about them and to consider them and reflect and ask God to show you the truth of those scriptures. Then we go to chapter 11, and he talks about Israel again. Now remember, Paul is a Jewish man, and he's trying to reconcile his extraordinary ministry to the Gentiles with his love for the Israelites, a Pharisee. A very, a very amazing person taught under the feet of Gamiel, a very powerful person, a person that was once very zealous for the faith of Israel. But now he's not as strong because God has called him to minister to the Gentiles also. But he doesn't want to abandon the people of Israel. And so chapter 11 is a beautiful chapter that shows his love for the people of Israel, the whole chapter and how the Gentiles are grafted into that hope in Christ. Many of the Israelites believed that they were the only ones that could be saved. Not only were they chosen, they were chosen above everyone, and there was no one else that could be saved, and that's always been false. Isaiah spoke against that very strongly. The Gentiles are included. And so in chapter 11, he's showing how the Gentiles are included in the promise in Christ, and what stance Israel now has. The end of the chapter is quite famous. Verse 33. Oh, the depths and the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. Now that's a place that all of us have to get to. Does God really know what he's doing? How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Do you really trust God? Does he know what he's doing? Or do you really not trust him that much? What can he do? For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's called a doxology. It's a beautiful doxology to this section 9, 10, and 11, which we, are, we look at this week uh, through the study of the week of five Lent or the fifth Sunday in Lent. And so God is great, God is awesome, God is powerful, and we are to trust him and to follow him and to love him. In the Gospel of John, we begin with the healing of the blind man. Now, the healing of the blind man is in John chapter 9, and we find John chapter 9 on Monday and Tuesday, and then on Wednesday and Thursday, we're looking at the Good Shepherd, which is quite famous. On Friday, we're looking at Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus. 
and on Saturday, the continuation of the raising of Lazarus and that whole incredible story. So chapter 9 is a very long chapter, and it's about a person that was born blind, and the question is posed. As he passed by, this is verse 1, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, here's the question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What did this man do wrong that he would be born blind? So he must have done something wrong, must have done something bad. Jesus' answer is quite extraordinary. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of, works of God might be displayed in him. Neither one. But the work of God would be shown. I'm going to show you a miracle. God's going to be glorified. And you potentially are going to have a greater relationship with God Almighty because you saw the power of God move. And so this happened so that God would be glorified, not because of his parents and not because of this individual. Now, this turned upside down the whole idea of why people had handicaps and all, that there had to be something in somebody's life that went south, and so there was a curse that God put on them, because if they were perfectly healthy, they would be in favor of God, and if they had any kind of problems, God must have done something to curse them, and therefore they had this handicap. And so chapter 9 goes back and forth in this conversation between the Pharisees and the man born blind and Jesus about this amazing miracle. Because remember, he's born blind from birth. Who can heal a man born blind? Nobody could except he were God. And God is the one that heals him, and that God is in Jesus Christ. In chapter 10, we have the very famous good shepherd. Verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheep door, enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in some other way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his sheep by name. He leads them out. All right. Remember Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, etc., etc. So we have set up with David, this is 1000 BC, this idea of the good shepherd. Jesus fulfills that in John chapter 10 quite astoundingly. And so he says, I am the door of the sheep in verse 7. I am the door, he says in verse 9. And in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I will take care of the sheep. I will give them green pasture. I will restore their souls. I will lead them in the paths of righteousness. I will anoint their heads with oil. Though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall be with them. Thou art with me. Okay? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this extraordinarily wonderful pastoral scene of Jesus taking care and being our good shepherd. He says it again in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and mine know me. So great, great scripture in chapter 9, great scripture in chapter 10, and finally in chapter 11, we see the death of Lazarus, and we have this extraordinary example of this man that's dead. So in the first example in chapter 9, the man is blind from birth. In this example, the person's dead. Both extraordinary miracles, and you know the miracle very well. Jesus calls the person out, and they, Lazarus, are back to life. 
He says, Jesus does, in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So this is a funeral scripture I use a lot and that those that know Christ, believe in Christ, will be raised because they believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Now, he hasn't been resurrected yet. He's telling you that he's going to be. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We're all going to die. But to live forever, the only way that can happen is to believe in Christ. So, as you get yourself ready for Holy Week, which we will share with you next week, prayerfully reflect, think about, and prepare yourselves for Holy Week as you meditate and consider these wonderful scriptures. God bless you and see you for Holy Week.